Yo, what is up? You have found We Like the Blazers. I am your host, Ryan Whitledge. Uh, Sans Brandon, yet again, um, he is busy with his master's program. But in the meantime, I found the fourth best Steve in my <laughs> life behind, I'll take it. behind Steve Martin, Steve McQueen, Steve Carell, and, uh, you know, Steve Ballmer, just because he's got a lot of money. Uh, Steve DeWald, how you doing, Steve? I mean, I was kind of flattered to be on that list for a while. And then just the arbitrary put me behind Balmer by because of dollar signs. Not sure. Not sure how I feel about that. So, well, I'm, I mean, if I hang out with you, you're not, you know, there's no yachts. There's as far as I know, there's there's no yacht. You're bringing me on. We aren't going on an exotic trip. It's probably going to end up with us being in some uh, dive bar in downtown Vancouver because we're we're both heathens that live on that yeah. side of the bridge. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. I don't. I guess. Yeah, I, I'm not going to get into a tax thing right now. But yeah, I like living in Vancouver. I also like dive bars. Probably where we'd end up. <laughs> this so, is true. So. Spe- speaking of, um, the reason I bring you on, uh, last last podcast episode, I had uh, Eric Griffith of, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Willamette Weekly uh, of, of, of his most recent fame, but uh, most notoriety as far as Blazerland goes of uh, Blazer's Edge writing, uh, which is where I know you from. Mm-hmm. And uh, we discussed all the minutia of cap details and, uh, you know, what Joe Ingles cap hold means for the team and did the deep dive into that. And now that we're approaching uh, the start of everybody's favorite thing, uh, the the tournament, I don't know, is, is March Madness, can you say March Madness or do I owe money if I... Uh, I don't, know, I don't be... know if it's a ready to rumble situation. Which oh, now you're well, God, now, now I got to. <laughs> all right. Bleep at 37. <laughs> there you go. Leave it in. You got dude, the money. Dude, if Buble, or if, or if he comes after us for that, I know he comes after everybody, but like, does he just have like a Google search thing like or an AI running? Like if you hear this in any audio format, immediately sue them. I think like the buffer family is the driving force behind smart AI and just looking for that trademark money every, everywhere they can, any way they can. But, no, I think you can say March Madness. All right. I mean, but, but March Madness is coming up and uh, I asked you to bring your, uh, your binder of young men to this podcast. I, you know what? Mitt Romney really soiled the good name of binders. Like that, that's the that's a real problem. But yes, I still I still use paper. It is I have not transferred it into type, and I could just should just keep this on a PDF. But I like to keep it around, put notes in it. So I still very much. Maybe I'll stop killing trees. Maybe I'll go fully digital. But as of right now, I still do paper copies. And right now, we're definitely in the note taking phase. But uh, yeah, I, I I brought I brought my homework with me. That is fantastic because this is the most in tune to draft prospects and Blazers positioning and lottery odds and all that crap that I have been since uh, the great draft of Myers Leonard and that (laughs) young up and comer Damian Lillard in 2012. Mm -hmm. So, I want to, uh, real quick, ask a very dumb question of you, uh, as my, my resident draft expert on this. And cause I've heard a lot of, I've, I've realized that not a lot of people know 
exactly what the fuck the draft lottery is, how many teams are involved in it, how it works, you know, does is when the end of the regular season happens, is that the final, you know, seating and order for, for the draft lottery. So Steve, give, give us the, uh, the draft lottery for dummies rundown here real quick. So let me, I just want to make sure, cause there have, they have amended this process in, you know, this is a constantly evolving, uh, processes and how they weight these teams, how they place these teams, how far a team can fall and how flat the odds are at the top. When I say flat, basically the top four teams are top. The worst three teams basically have equal odds to get that first pick. Um, as far as the teams that are eligible for the lottery, it is every team that doesn't make the playoffs. Now that used to be a very simple thing when we had this, you know, there was no plan, but now basically if you don't qualify through the plane, even if you make the plane and technically play a postseason game and you don't make it to the traditional round of 16, you are very much a lottery team. So that's something to keep in mind for blazer fans, especially this year, when you're looking at the new Orleans Pelicans who are most likely for sure. I would guarantee you're going to be a play in team. Um, I don't think they can get to a point where they're out of it. So that's going to be someone you're going to be watching for as painful as it might be. We're probably for the betterment of the blazers should all be rooting against the Pelicans. Oh, it hurts. It hurts my soul because that means you have to root for the Lakers. And and again, the the reason you're doing that is because the pick that the blazers received from the Pelicans, the first round pick is protected number five through eight. So you really got to thread the needle here. If the blazers do not get this pick this year, it is conveyed into a bucks pick in a couple of years, which will probably be shitty. Yeah. You would assume that the bucks with as young as Giannis is, even, though it feels like he's been around forever that that pick is probably going to be pretty good so and it, and it just it, i mean it's still a tradable asset down the road but still i think if you're the blazers you'd much rather have two picks in the lottery this year especially if the blazers kind of fall out of that top range and maybe you want to move up a pick maybe mm-hmm. they can use two and, and get one maybe it all depends on the direction they want to go with this team like you know eric really talked about even though there is this illusion of a lot of cap flexibility i mean it, it really disappears quickly and, and do you really want to put two guaranteed contracts into two rookie players or how do you want to navigate that so um as far as the lottery goes though it, it'll be the, the actual lottery drawing will happen before the finals um the Blazers will send a representative to, to that process. I don't know who exactly they'll send. I believe Drew Eubanks. That's my call. <laughs> Drew <laughs> Eubanks. Okay. I don't know who was there for the Dame year, but uh, I, I know Dame went for the, the next year that ended up being the pick that got CJ McCollum. So I don't know who will be the player this year. Maybe it'll be Anthony Simons. I, I have no idea. So, um, and usually, you know, they can kind of have some fun with it too. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, then that's basically one Oh one for, for the lottery. I mean, I'm not going to go into like the, the exact percentages, but basically it's tiered. The top is, is relatively even the worst three teams basically have a, an even shot at that. Yeah. And one of the other things too, is uh, that's important to consider, especially when, you know, thinking about the, the Pelicans pick and that, you know, say that, you know, they make the play in, but don't make the playoffs. And so they end up, you know, sitting as, as, you know, like a ninth or 10th seed in that in that spot the the first second third and fourth overall picks are awarded via ping pong balls and it's teams one through 14 are 
all their ping pong balls are in that. So even though there's a very minuscule chance that the Pelicans could vault up into that one through four spot, it's still there. So their overall placement by their record until the draft lottery has commenced is not set in stone. Mm -hmm. Correct. 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 So in that regard, and then coming up on, on, you know, March madness, there's my understanding of this draft is that it's about a top, top four to six heavy in, in, Players that could make an immediate impact on a team, obviously something that the Blazers are looking forward or are are looking for is an immediate impact player. Um, And a lot of the top prospects in this draft are at kind of positions in need centers, power forwards, uh, small forwards. There's a few shooting guards in there that, by the are taller than six, three. So at least there's that, but, um, I just kind of want to immediately look at, let's just say the top 10, because the blazers are looking at having two picks in that, in that range. And for anybody who wants to follow along at home, as it stands right now, both Steve and I are looking at uh tankathon. And, um, so let's just kind of start at 10 for uh, there may be players you need to skip because you haven't, you haven't kept up with it, but you know, start at 10 and work our way, uh, work our way to the top where I'm really going to need you to convince me that Chet Holmgren is not going to snap in half in the NBA. <laughs> okay. Perfect. Um, <laughs> before we get into kind of this rundown, I do want to say as far as all draft classes are not created equal. Like you say, you'll typically hear like, you know, some years, this is a one player draft. This is a three player draft. This is a four player draft. I think the the consensus here for this draft, as far as you're talking about that top elite tier, and most of the time you're going to see drafts broken into tiers for most of this year. I think it was a, a, a top three in that first tier. I, I think more in the last month or so, I think, Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren, who we'll talk about later, have separated themselves into that top tier. And then you have kind of Paulo in his own tier that maybe Ivy's creeping up on, which will work backwards to these guys. But what I do want to say, as far as NBA ready players, I think throughout this top 10, you're going to see players that are intermixed that I might value more, but might be less NBA ready than the player I just covered. And and that mainly just has to do with floors and ceilings and what you're necessarily going to go after. What is this player going to absolutely be potentially day one when they step on an NBA court versus what is this player going to be potentially, you know, three years from now. And I will say my, my big board is not exactly the same as as take a thumb, but I, I can speak comfortably to most of the players on this list. So I, I am sad that I don't currently see a giant whiteboard a la war room <laughs> style behind you. As we speak right now, mm-hmm. is, is will that make its way up in your house or is your wife going to kibosh that? I, I currently have like a swivel one at my place of nine to five work that definitely has budget stuff for my real job on one side. And then has does have a more NBA style, uh, I usually use a whiteboard on draft night and I will take it home with me uh, and and not use it just on my lunch breaks. (laughs) All right. So uh, as tankathon has it right now, uh, the blazers current uh, standing pick without uh, running a SIM on the lottery is a God, this is going to test my pronunciation. Most of these names, but a Tari Eason. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so Tari's an interesting player. I think a lot of these, as far as who you're going to see in the tournament, 
we're going to see if we're going to see Tari Eason in the tournament. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. L- L- LSU, LSU, not that good. <laughs> I, I mean, they have, I mean, they're right there on the bubble. I think we're going to see them potentially. I, I assume there's an NIT again this year. If there is an NIT. I would assume you're going to see him playing that. There uh, is. I did check up on that. There will be an NIT this year. Okay. Go, so he, go ducks. <laughs> there you go. So, <laughs> so Tari is a transfer. He went to Cincinnati last year, but before that he is a Northwest guy. He's from Seattle, went to Garfield high. Um, so there is a little bit of Northwest route here. Uh, he is kind of that swing forward. He doesn't quite have a full NBA body. Like we're going to talk about with a few of these other guys, but really stepped into a good situation in LSU His points per game doubled last year. He does a lot of things. He's not a real floor spacer as of right now. So if you're looking for that and as a forward, a modern forward who can play both the small forward and power forward positions, he's not quite there. Um, his free throw percentage, which you're going to hear me talk a lot about free throw percentage. Uh, when we talk about ceilings for these guys is developing into shooters because as it does sound counterintuitive, but that is one strong indicator that they have found that translates from college basketball to the NBA is that free throw shooting. So if you're shooting, you know, above 75%, there is some indication that you are going to develop into a shooter at the next level. And that, I think that just has to do with touch form shooting ability. Um, so well, you, right, you even see ahead. that in the NBA too, where mm-hmm. it's when players are in a shooting slump or whatnot, it's if they can get to the line and the quote unquote, see the ball go through the hoop kind of thing. So if a, for lack of a better term, if a guy is better at being able to see a ball go through a hoop, then you're going to assume that he's better. He can be a better shooter. So I, I mean, really, Tari, I still, I, there's a lot I want to see. There's a lot. I think he's going to benefit from being an in individual workouts and playing against some of these other guys that are right around his size. Um, as far as players physically where he fits a mold, he's going to very much match up with a couple other guys that we see a little further up this list. Mm-hmm. Um, just to be clear. So that's number 10 on Tangathon. I would probably slot Benedict Matherin into that position. Who's the Arizona guard. That's more likely who I would start with as my number 10 and, and not to deflect too much from Tari, but as far as Matherin goes, he is a second year player at Arizona. He has stepped up with more production, more ability to play his per 40 numbers are pretty similar year over mm-hmm. year. So that means he's doing a lot of the same things on the court, but he's six, seven, he's a shooting guard. So, I mean, he's a guard with size, something we're not used to in Portland, but he is a, a three level scorer. His efficiency numbers don't jump off the floor, like off the chart, like mm-hmm. a crazy, like some of these other guys we're going to see but he's a 38% three point shooter. And he takes a lot of modern three point shots. So I'm talking about pull-ups. I'm talking about fast moving off the screens uh, with the ball, off the ball, off the dribble. Like he has a full complement of NBA scoring ability. He's not afraid of contact. He'll get downhill. He's not incredibly explosive. I think if he was incredibly explosive at his size, he would be, you know, a top three, top four, top five pick, but Mm -hmm. he very much has a physical profile of being someone who can, develop into a three and D player. Obviously some of the defense has to catch up, but he has benefited from the new coaching staff in Arizona this last year, that Gonzaga system going down there. So I, I really like him. I think he's someone that if the blazers, you know, with that Pelicans pick, if it does fall in that range and he's there, 
that's someone I would love to see the Blazers pick up. I think he's someone who should absolutely be on their radar. He is, like I said, a second year player. So he has that as enticing as some of these, you know, freshman players or, or guys that are coming straight and maybe out of the G league ignite program, but mm-hmm. he has got a ton of upside still. And his size is just something that I think Portland would welcome. So, and for, and for anybody freaking out going, Oh my God, not another guard. Cronin has already come out and said, you know, it, it he didn't necessarily give like the asset management or asset acquisition lines that we've heard from Olshay in the past, but he has said, we will take the best available player. And so if they are looking to make moves, drafting a, a strong, a strong up and coming guard is not necessarily the end all to be all. <laughs> if you can turn around and package that, you know, say to, you know, Detroit for uh, Jeremy Grant, and they have somebody that they can possibly have be a tall, good running mate next to Cade, you know, those kind of things. Now I do have one quick question before Mm -hmm. we move on to the best name player uh, Mm -hmm. in this draft. What is, what's the biggest difference? Because you look at Benedict and he's six, seven, but then Tari is six, eight. And they just completely skip this, you know, small forward position. Does that have anything to do with like how basketball is becoming slightly positionless or is it more like, okay, well, Tari's, you know, built like a tank. So he's a power forward or, or like, how do they, you know, it's an inch difference yet. I I think it's just positions. It's kind of the areas that these players operate in. Like, like Tari is very much a post player or what we would consider a traditional post player. That's typically who he's guarding and typically where he operates on offense. I mean, his stats reflect that as well. Um, as far as, as Matherin goes, he is one of those players who is kind of that, you know, that shooting guard of days past where he is very much a slasher attacker, um, does a lot of stuff on the perimeter. And I, I think that's where that distinction comes from. Um, okay you know, really this whole class, you're not seeing a lot of that true small forward listing, even though I think, you know, Matherin Eason and a couple other guys we're going to talk about later are all players that I think if, if their development takes them in that direction, they could probably be NBA small forwards. Okay. So the next guy up on a tankathon, uh, number nine, as I precluded to a little earlier, the best name player in this draft, Ty Ty. Ty Ty Washington coming uh, a point guard out of Kentucky. Uh, I don't think the Blazers need a point guard. (laughs) So I I would say Ty Ty is one of like the true point guard of this class. So if you are looking for that type of player, a team looking for that player, I think he is the the top of that list. Now, granted a lot of the times you don't see player or teams drafting for specific positions, Mm -hmm. but but if you really were hurting for a point guard, he is that type of player. Now, the thing about Ty Ty is he has reclassified. He is 20 years old in, in, as a freshman. So he is a little bit older, even though it does say freshman next to his name. Um, he doesn't really blow you away as far as efficiency goes, as far as a three point shooter goes. But what he does do is take care. He takes care of the ball and he takes care of a ball in a high pressure situation where he's thrown in with a bunch of new teammates as Kentucky always does. And I mean, this year, you know, 4.1 assists per game going into this, this sec tournament and only 1.6 turnovers. So like really just does a really good job of running the offense there. Um, not a lot. It doesn't really look for his own shot a whole lot, but he does have the athleticism, the quickness and, and really is 
good at reading the floor. If he wanted to create his own shot, uh, just, uh, just about a dozen points per game for him heading into this weekend. He's a player that if you want to talk about someone to watch in the tournament, potentially, or, or someone in these post season games, he's someone I think could rise up boards, typically like that traditional guard. If a team gets hot, they're a team that, you know, could potentially, he's a player that could potentially rise up draft boards or at least get some notoriety from your more common, you know, once a year, once a month out of the year, basketball fans for college basketball. Yeah. And then one other real quick, important caveat and for anybody following along at home that wants to do that. Cause I know there there's, there's your per game stats in college right now. And everybody has to remember that's two 20 minute halves. And so mm-hmm. it's kind of like if, if the, you want to see how that translates to the NBA per se, looking at a per 36 minutes is a little more translatable. And so as far as Ty Ty, I think you said he has 4.1 assists or 4.2, somewhere in that range, mm-hmm. the per 36 on that ends up rounding up to 5.1. So this, as far as if you want to just like, Hey, how would this stat compare to the NBA? Don't be like, Oh my God, only four. And that's why you'll see a lot of the times, like when I'm talking, you know, necessarily about, you know, Tari or, or Matherin is it's you're looking at their per minute production is what you're looking at. So what are they doing when they're on the floor? Not necessarily like obviously a bench player or someone with a smaller role is not going to make the same type of impact, but these might have a ton of potential. Like you see this, I look at this more often with overseas players mm-hmm. who might be on, you know, a team with a bunch of grown men and they're not playing a whole lot. You really kind of want to get a snapshot of what is actually happening when they're on the floor. But college is definitely something useful. It's definitely for me, I use the per 40 numbers a lot for if a player changed roles just by, you know, progressing like a second year player, what really changed? Is he still doing the same things or did he make a leap somewhere and he's doing something a little differently or production is coming out of nowhere. And that's where those per 40 numbers are really useful. Yeah. So next guy up on the list, uh, is, uh, Oh, geez. Oh, Hey, they, they have them listed for the Blazers. This must be the Blazers actual pick. There we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, J- Johnny Davis, a shooting guard out of Wisconsin, uh, six, five, uh, sophomore. Um, again, everyone's going to freak out. Go, oh my gosh, guard. But then again, you know, if the, if, if the Blazers land a good pick and then just have a pick to trade. It is important to consider these guys body of work for them being a possible trade asset, not necessarily somebody they're going to keep. I, I think just as a blazer fan, I think what you do is you draft the best player available. Um, I, I think history has showed us that you don't do the other thing. So I mean, you don't want more Zach Collins, but he or, was a foundational building block. I mean, obviously, I mean, Sam Bowie is the ultimate here. Um, <laughs> But, but you, you draft the best player available. And as far as Johnny Davis goes, he might be just from an attitude and how he conducts himself on the court. My favorite player in this class, he is full of swagger. He's a second year player at Wisconsin, which is, which is also worth mentioning. I mean, he is a player who has stepped into a bigger role. He, uh, you know, he does, he has, like I I'd mentioned with Matherin, he has that full complement of offensive skills or skill sets. Now his efficiency numbers are not great. He's a sub 35% three point shooter right now, Ooh. but he takes very tough shots and he takes a lot of them. So he's someone who I think is going to benefit from getting away from Wisconsin's kind of grinded out offense and big 10 basketball and get into 
the NBA where there's more spacing. I think his game is tailored towards that. He just how he, like I said, how he conducts himself, how he carries himself. He is full of confidence. He has that short memory. Um, you don't see him really get inside his own head. He really can shake it off. I think he's going to be a leader at the next level, especially if he ends up in the right situation. Um, I I'm really excited to see where he ends up now. If it's with the blazers, that's, that'll be kind of interesting. I, I, I don't know necessarily how he fits into their plans, especially with probably what the long-term vision is, is here for Anthony Simons, mm-hmm. but Johnny Davis is a super interesting player. I think he's someone who, when you look back at this draft, you know, five, 10 years from now and things play out for Johnny Davis to the best of his ability. And he ends up in a good situation. I think you can look back and say, he's he, how did we miss that? He became the best player in this draft. I really think that I I think there's not a lot of players. I'm going to say that about going forward, especially, and we're going to go through a lot of very talented players, but I think Mm -hmm. Johnny Davis can really make a jump here and a leap, especially if he ends up in the right situation. He's got a great all American name too. If it's like, if, a, if Ford motors doesn't immediately like just throw all the endorsement money at him, that's that'll, mm. that'll be a failure on their part. Uh, next up, uh, number seven on the, uh, on the mock draft board for tankathon is a guy that I've actually heard mentioned a lot in regards to Portland, a power forward out of Iowa, uh, which has one of the, Oddly enough, best traveling sports fan bases around the country that I still don't fully understand. But uh, Keegan Murray. Mm-hmm. So Keegan Murray, uh, you know, second year at Iowa, he is a little bit older than the rest of these prospects. He's he's pro- I think he's going to be 22 when he takes the floor for the NBA for the first mm-hmm. time. Um, that said, he is probably the most dynamic scorer, pure scorer, leading in, scorer out of everybody in, in this draft per 36. Yep. Yep. In the NCAA, he does everything. He can play on the perimeter. He's comfortable in the post. What I really like about him on the perimeter. And I think it's a lot to do with his chemistry with his brother who also plays on Iowa, but he really uses screens. He understands spacing. He does a really good job of showing to the ball. So he he's constantly rotating. He really has a firm understanding of space. Um, he's someone who's fully took advantage of Iowa, you know, kind of changing the guard. So Luca Garza, uh, wise camp, they both leave. And those guys were just a vacuum for touches last year. And he just steps right into this premier role. Now, Iowa still has some work to do to make sure they make it into the tournament. There's a team I really hope makes it into the tournament. But mm-hmm. I I think Keegan Murray is, if you're to pick someone who's like, hey, this on paper should be the exact fit for the Blazers for a later or mid-lottery pick, I think it is Keegan Murray. And I think a lot of people are kind of circling him on their list just because of that, because he does play at a position of need. I think he is... You know, I mentioned it with Tari, with Eason, as far as a player that could potentially play small forward. I think Keegan Murray could make that transition a lot easier. I think he can play either forward spot, depending on the personnel around him. Um, I think he's a floor spacer. I think he's someone who can develop into more of an offense once Dame kind of, you know, gets out of being that first role. And if he is, you know, in Portland for a long time, I think he can marry someone who can continue to pick up slack on, on the offensive side of the ball. And I think that's why a lot of people are, are attracted to what Keegan Murray can do. There's also 
a real possibility here that Keegan Murray has already made the biggest leap of his basketball career and he is older. He's made a huge jump here. I don't know if he can replicate another jump of that magnitude, which you you're going to have to do to be a starter in the NBA as a forward. So that's something I, I do have some reservations there. Um, and also just some of the play style and some of the competition, but I, I think you know, if you were to circle a player that this makes sense for Dame's timeline, I think Keegan Murray is probably that player in the mid lottery for the, for the Blazers. All right. Uh, all right. So next up on the list, no relation to Shannon Sharp. And yes, I did workshop that joke. And I just <laughs> said it before I resumed that recording after a tiny break, but Shaden Sharp, a shooting guard out of Kentucky. Kentucky six, six. He's a freshman. And for some reason on this, all his stats are blanked. Is he broken? That is because shade on sharp did not play this year. So he, uh, and he's he was... sixth on the draft board, according to Tankathon. So this is a player who I would be fully confident that if the Blazers were in the same position and Neil O'Shea was the GM, this is absolutely 1000% the player the Blazers would take. Yeah, so, has he previously been employed by the Clippers? Was he, I, a, was he, a I don't, boy? <laughs> I don't know about that, but what I would say is this is if Shea, if sharp hits, the GM that takes a chance on him is going to look like a genius. And so basically sharp was going to be Kentucky's prized five-star recruit for next year. Mm -hmm. He ended up reclassifying, um, was flirted with going with through the G league route and just never really panned out. He's kind of doing the Darius Baisley approach from a couple of years ago. So he's basically just not playing this year. Um, that said, he, that is just not the craziest thing about him and his profile as crazy oh, as that Lord. sounds. So he went from basically a zero star recruit or a single star recruit to a five-star recruit in a matter of months. So this is just lightning in a bottle here. Like he is super dynamic. I think if he would have played and he is some of what this people say his potential could be, you're talking about him being in the top three of this draft. He is got a ton of length. He's supposedly a slasher, supposedly just a three level scorer, and, and he's young. He's only 18 years old. Um, that said there, there's just not a lot of film. I just don't have a lot to say about it. Like all I, all I have to say is, you know, every scout who's watched him is kind of astonished that he went from being basically completely off the college radar to being a five-star recruit to now without playing a minute of college basketball or in the G league program is now, you know, a lottery pick or a projected lottery pick. I think a lot of teams are going to be really hopeful that they can get him in workouts with other prospects. Mm -hmm. Um, there's kind of been this rumor going around that he could look like the number one pick in a solo workout. Like he just has that level of, of physical gifts and just that quick twitch muscle and he moves really fast and he's, but, but you just want to see him play against somebody, I guess is what it is. And that's the huge thing. So he is probably the biggest boomer bust pick here. And that's kind of why I really felt like if Olshea was still here, that would be the guy the Blazers would take because if it does work out, the GM who takes him is going to look like an absolute genius. But. If uh, uh, is it 
kind of fitting that in the kind of mock draft order that he's slotted to go to the Kings. And that is just a completely Kings thing to do. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It might make just too much sense for the Kings. I mean, you might as well just try Like I'm all, I'm all for the swing for the fence type player. Like, I, I mean, I could probably talk myself into sharp without watching hardly any of his film, just based on, on what the scouts are saying. So, <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. He's going to be someone who's going to be, like I said, super interesting to watch in the pre-draft process as far as who he practices with, what type of competitions he's able to play in, if he's able to get in on the combine, you know, just all that stuff that, that you're going to really want to see him measured against other people in this class. So next up on the list, uh, we have uh, fr- a small forward from Duke, uh, AJ Griffin. Uh, mm-hmm. no really relation to Blake Griffin. I'm just going to call out the relationship names here. No, you know, I no and no I, relation to Peter Griffin either. All right. Um, uh, Johnny Davis, not related to, uh, to Anthony Davis in any way, shape or form. Just no, okay. No, no, not at all. Um, as far as AJ Griffin goes, he is an absolute three and D player heavy on the three. We haven't seen a lot of the D, but he is someone <laughs> that, gotcha. I waited for you to take a drink there. But I'm, um, so he is almost a 50% three point shooter. So he is just a lights out, you know, gets to the corner, waits for, for Paulo to kind of do his thing. And he's the safety valve. And, you know, you watch his film and this is, it reminds me of Anthony Simons for a different reason is Anthony Simons. When I watched him, his IMG film was, I was like, ah, I really hate this guy's release. Like it's super low. And when I talked to his coach, it's like, no, I wasn't going to change it. He was almost a 50% three point shooter. AJ Griffin's footwork does the same thing to my brain. He has a very staggered landing point on his, on his three point shot, but it's repeatable. Obviously it's working at 48%. We just haven't seen him do a lot of other things. And I think that's just by design of how Duke has built this team just around Paulo really. And then you have a true center that is also very talented. Mm-hmm. So he's very much just been a wing player. Now, when you're talking about a player that could be attractive to, to plug and play into the blazer system, it's AJ Griffin. And I like it just for one. He's a proven shooter. I mean, by every metric, it looks like it is going to translate to the NBA. And also I I think there's probably some untapped potential. I mean, he was a a highly sought after recruit and he just really hasn't got to do a lot of the things that that he was recruited for, that he was doing at a high school level. He's really just stuck to this three and D type role. So I think he's someone who, who has a lot more to give at the next level, but he also is that rare mix of a very high floor just because he is such an offense efficient three point shooter. So definitely someone to watch. Definitely someone. If, if he falls in the blazers range should be, should be on their radar because he fits a position in need for sure. Next up, we have, uh, uh another guard, this one, uh, on the shorter scale for guards in this, uh, top 10, uh, six, four, uh, Jaden Ivy, uh, out of Purdue. Mm-hmm. I so, don't recall ever hearing a lot of Purdue players being in a top four. Am, am I wrong on that, Bob? No, I can't, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but I could be, I could be missing someone huge here. So <laughs> I, I don't want to commit to that. Point. You start in on this. I'm going to figure out who the best draft pick out of Purdue is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So as far as Jaden Ivan goes, second year player at Purdue, he has, taken a big leap as far as being a facilitator, being the primary facilitator for that team. He, he went from 1.9 assists per game to three assists per game. Um, he's also outperformed his per 40 numbers in, in that metric as well. Um, 
he is incredibly explosive for his size. He's six foot four. He's someone who's probably going to benefit in this draft process through how successful and I'm, I want to be very clear. They're not the same player, but how successful John Morant has been. He, he is cut from that cloth as far as what he can do moving downhill and his explosive first step. And I mean, he is a, a serviceable three point shooter, but that is definitely not what he is known for. He is known for getting from point A to point B very quickly. Uh, and he is not afraid of contact, but again, six foot four guard. I don't know how he really truly fits into the Blazers plans, but, but he is someone you could see playing alongside Ant, but I just don't know where Dame fits into that. And it would be down the road a little bit, but yeah, still, so, uh, still a, a interesting player to watch and someone definitely worth watching in the tournament. Someone who could, if Purdue kind of shakes some of their, their typically snake bit tournament performances he's someone to watch yeah the uh the most productive uh purdue draft pick ever comes from the 1980 draft which you and i very much remember oh so well from that yeah. era before we were born uh mm-hmm. joe barry carroll 10 okay. years with the warriors okay. but and this one it's close to home the highest drafted ever purdue player it was drafted number 26 in the 2017 draft uh one mr oh, caleb God. caleb Swanigan. Yep. Yep. <laughs> to, to change this subject to something happier. Uh, I think Robbie Hummel was like the, the head of team USA's three on three, uh, Olympic team. Hmm. So, so that there's a, there's a positive Robbie Hummel seemed like he played at Purdue forever, but I think he was like <laughs> hurt all, all the time. So, um, but yeah, you definitely, uh, uh, Purdue, not really. I mean, I, as far as guards go, I think Carson Edwards is the last first round pick that was a guard. I want to say, um, you know, yes. another super athletic player. Um, I think Jaden Ivey's just, just a little bit different, a little bit more of a pure point guard when it comes to that, as far as the two, um, mm-hmm. still just really known for his explosiveness and really just his numbers exploded across the board in his second season at Purdue. Mm-hmm. And so now we get into the interesting ones, the, the top three. And before, we, before we go, you know, the name by name and how Tankathon has this, has this ranked. Can we just, is there any sort of consensus on the order of these top three, or is this just basically like whichever team needs something is going to pick one of these players. And you may as well be able to interchange all three of these guys for the top three in the draft. I, I think I mentioned a little bit at the top of the show. I, I think Bunkaro has, has fallen behind the other two, as far as Jabari and Chet Holmgren. Hmm. Um, I think just Paul is just kind of, he has the ball so much and I'll, I'll talk about, it. I guess I'll just go right into talking. Yeah. About he's, Paulo. he's number three so, right there. So Power he would be, he, he, I would have him as a, in a tier of his own. I, mm-hmm. I would say he is that second tier of the draft. Um, he handles the ball a ton and he reminds me a little bit of another Duke forward that was there. That was Jason Tatum mm-hmm. and Jason Tatum ran into a big problem at the NBA as far as his first dribble and, and his first attack downhill was, was a very unprotected move. It was turnover prone. It, it caused a lot of problems for the Celtics at, at certain times. And I think Paulo definitely fits that. I mean, he is dynamic as far as being a player of his size. He has an NBA body right now. He's 250 pounds. He'll be all of that in muscle when he goes to the NBA. So he is very much the body type. 
but he's just got to dial in the little things. I mean, as far as the Blazers go, I mean, there's obvious interest with him being a Northwest guy being from Seattle, but I, I, I just, there's so many questions as far as what he does efficiently from the perimeter and how he takes care of the ball. Now, upside wise, he is a pick and roll point guard. I mean, he can, he can create plays and with his size, he should be a role option as well. So when you're looking at pairing him potentially with another big dynamic player, like a Ben Simmons type, mm-hmm. it's very interesting to put two players of that size that you can interchange as pick and roll operators and pick and roll rollers. Now, I think that's super interesting, especially on depending on where he lands. Like right now, the tankathon that has him going to Detroit. Detroit's a super interesting team when you look at the size on that team with Cade Cunningham, who's got a lot of size for a point guard, mm-hmm. and, you, and you put Paulo on that team. It gets it it gets enticing. Those are the type of situations I'd like to see him in. Now, as far as what he would do for the Blazers to kind of bring it home, I, I just don't know if you want that extra cook in the kitchen. If you have a choice of any of these top three players, I Paul is gonna need the ball to to learn how to be effective in the NBA. He's not just a spot up shooter. Like that's just mm-hmm. not what you want him doing. And you don't want him just being a glorified rebounder. And he's got a lot to show on the defensive end, mainly because he's been asked to do so much on the offensive end for this Duke team. And and that could change at the NBA. Maybe if he's not doing so much on the offensive end, he could do a little something more on the defensive end. But I I think he has a gap to close with these other two. But if you're talking about a player who could develop into, you know, that LeBron James type star player, I mean, he certainly looks the part. He has the size. He has the playmaking ability. if Mm -hmm. If he cuts the turnovers down, but there there's still a lot of development there. There's a lot of stuff that kind of scares me about him as a prospect, but let me be clear when I say that he is definitely ahead of some of these other four <laughs> we've already talked about. He's definitely ahead of AJ Griffin. He's definitely ahead of Keegan Murray. Um, he's someone I, I prefer over those two players, but you know, there's going to be some growing pains. I, I would like to see him potentially go to a bad team and be able to go through some pains of learning what it's like, you know, a Houston, a Detroit. Um, I mean, even the Pacers, I I wouldn't mind seeing him go to a situation like that. So in in regards to if, if he's the guy, you know, best available talent at, at the Blazers pick or whatnot, you know, would there be a concern like you'd mentioned earlier when talking about his, his play alongside AJ Griffin, um, you know, is there a concern that like a him and Nurk pairing would way clog up the paint too much kind of thing? Or does he have any, like what, what's his outside or stretch for game kind of, I mean, I mean, Paulo, when you watch Duke, I mean, he's basically playing the point guard position for for large stretches of the game. I mean, he operates outside the paint. He operates in the high post. I mean, as far as putting those two players together on the floor, yes. I mean, their, their most efficient shooting areas definitely (laughs) overlap, but, but Paulo definitely plays on the perimeter. I mean, sometimes to his detriment, um, but as far as being able to pass and find teammates and, and really have a feel for the floor and that, you know, I harped on his turnover issues, but really, I mean, for a player of his age in the situation he was thrown into, I mean, he's got a really good feel for the game as far as seeing the floor, seeing what's going on. I mean, he just tries to do a little too much off the dribble. Sometimes um, he'd be interesting to play pair with another front court player who could pass. And like I said, it comes down to those things of, you know, quick actions, two man actions where those players could be interchangeable, like a player like Nurk, Mm -hmm. the player who's going to actually finish that basket 
could be interchangeable in that situation. And both of them are, I've shown that they can, they can pass, they can make entry passes, but um, yeah, there's just, I, I just don't like, I'm a little worried about what the blazers, if they're really going to try to build around Dame, I don't know if, if Paulo makes the most sense here. I think Paulo makes the most sense. If you're going to trade Dame and really bottom this thing out and build around him, I think you got to build a team around Paulo where the next two guys I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think you can plug those guys into teams. You can build around them certainly, but Paulo, I feel is the player that is really talented, but I think you've got to build a team that makes sense for him. You got to fill his deficiencies with the players around him. And I just don't know if the Blazers have that right now. And to even take what you said one step further, it's like a, if you were to trade Dame and build a team around him, I think in that kind of case, you'd have to kind of let Ant go or sign and trade Ant or whatever to fully utilize being able to build a team around him. The, uh, the next guy is, uh, oh my gosh, this is, this is my absolute pipe dream of, I, I have been preaching this for the better part of the entirety of the college basketball season. Since I, I've, I, I the amount of Auburn games that I've watched <laughs> is, uh, is something that I, I should not, you know, inform the world, about, <laughs> especially being a, a, a PAC 12 aficionado, but, uh, uh, Jabari Smith, the power forward out of Auburn, who, uh, depending on the week is either the number one or two, but as it stands right now on tankathon's listing, they have him as the second pick in the draft, the six ten, two hundred and ten pound chiseled beast of a power forward out of Auburn Jabari Smith. Yeah. So Jabari is to be clear. I mean, we're going to talk about a number two, which I'm totally fine about talking about chat in the number one slot, but Jabari is the the top player on my list. Um, as he is in my heart. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jabari is set to be the, the second person in, in his family in recent years to go in the top three of the NBA draft. He is Kwame Brown is his cousin. So, you know, they're oh, both, damn. they're both Southern guys. Um, Jabari has a more modern offensive skill set, though. And I think that is the most attractive part of his game is not only his size, but what he does at his size. He has developed this pick and pop three point shot. He can space the floor. He d- isn't really the shot blocker that that Chet is, but, you know, players at least have to think about him when, when they're in the paint. Um, you know, seven foot one wingspan. I think he's going to be able to guard multiple positions. I, I think a lot of what we're seeing from Evan Mobley can be re replicated by Jabari Smith at the next level. <laughs> and, and, and I think, I think that that is why he's so attractive to, to the Blazers specifically. I mean, I think that is the pipe dream. I think he is, one of those ideal players to fit in this system. Um, like I said, modern three point shooter, he, he can, you know, he can create off his own dribble in the, in transition and he can also spot up set screens and really get to a good spot. And really it just says a lot about, you know, an 18 year old player. I mean, he's younger than both, both Paulo and Chet. Like he, he has a very advanced offensive game. Um, there are going to be some learning curves, but really, I think the thing I like about him the most outside of his three point game is he doesn't waste dribbles. And that's something that drives me crazy about post players is for no reason, especially young post players, they'll put the ball on the floor before they go to finish. You don't see Jabari do that. He will, whether it's on a roll or whether it's on a rebound, his gather is very quick. Mm -hmm. And then he's back at the rim. He doesn't take chances. He doesn't 
put the ball out there for a turnover. And I think that's just such a huge skill for those young players. to have. And we see that occasionally with Nurk. We definitely saw that kind of stuff, you know, back when Ennis was, you know, they, they, they go up, they get a rebound, they come down hard with this dribble and then they just absolutely freaking lose it. So, and just, I mean, I do want to backtrack a little bit about his three point shooting. It's not like he is, it's just a novelty act for him to take three point shots. I mean, he takes 5.3, three pointers per game. I mean, he's, that is a healthy amount of his shot share. He takes high percentage shots. He doesn't take dumb shots. Um, another player that could absolutely, you know, really capture the imagination of every basketball fan through March madness. If Auburn is able to put together a decent run here, which judging by their post players, I mean, they have another, you know, their center, is also going to potentially be a first round pick. So there there's a lot to like here. And I think also that that's also something to keep in mind when you're thinking about Jabari, Jabari Smith and, and Chet Holmgren to a large degree too, is both these players have played with traditional centers and, and they're both have been comfortable operating as a power forward. So if they, you know, the ping pong balls fall in favor of the blazers, these top players are both guys that can definitely play alongside a player like Yusuf Nurkic if he's in the long-term plans for the Blazers. So the next up on the list, uh, us sitting here in our upper corner of the Pacific Northwest, we know this team well, the center from Gonzaga, Chet Holmgren, and... I'm going to, I'm going to let you start. And then I got some questions about this man and his diet and lifting regime. And so this sounds so stupid because everyone's just been mesmerized by him for the better part of a freaking year. Sell me on Chet, please. (laughs) Okay. I think the first thing you have to do when you're watching Chet Holmgren is, is really just you got to get past how skinny he is. I can't, uh, I gonna can't be a lo- do it. It's going to be a lot, a lot of your questions, but really like, you know, Kevin Garnett was really skinny. Kevin Durant was really skinny. Now I'm not saying Chet is that type of player. He's more, I mean, going to probably operate in more places like Kevin Garnett did, but Kevin Garnett was a little bit thicker by the time he started playing fully post minutes. Mm-hmm. But as far as Chet goes, what you want to do when you first start watching him, once you get over some of that is really, it starts with his footwork. Everything Chet Holmgren does starts with his footwork and everything is deliberate. He is as far as being a shot blocker at the level he does it. I mean, he has pretty elite company. I mean, the only player you can really compare him with in recent years is what he's doing. And for what he means, to that team is Anthony Davis. And I mean, when you look at that, his per 40 blocks and fouls 5.3 blocks per 40 minutes, only 3.5 fouls per 40 minutes. Anthony Davis was 5.8 blocks and 2.4 personal fouls. I mean, not as good as Anthony Davis, but still like, we on just don't, level. we don't see players do that on that level at that age. And I mean, just, I mean, Evan Mobley, 3.4 blocks, 2.1 fouls. Those are his per 40 numbers. And then kind of the next traditional center in this draft is Jalen Duran, a player we didn't talk about Memphis, just by comparison where, you know, there are tiers to this thing when you're looking mm-hmm. at center. So Duran is 3.5 blocks, 4.3 personal fouls. So he's upside down in that, in that average. Yeah. So as far as Chet, when you look at his footwork, how he measures space, how he avoids foul trouble 
it doesn't start above the waist where, you know, you see the shot block actually occur. It all starts with his feet. He's never out of position. Um, I mean, of course he's going to be out of position sometimes, but for the Mm -hmm. most part, he slides into position. He avoids contact. He always, if the whistle is going to come for him, it's going to be a very hard call on for the official to make. I mean, cause he is that efficient. He is that smart with how he gauges movement and creates space. And it allows him to get his arms up that, I mean, he's a, a mile long when he gets his arms out. So when he gets those out, it's easy blocks. Also, when he blocks shots, he's very smart about how he does it. I mean, yes, he's going to have some big time blocks where he's going to put it in the stands, but really he has a very keen awareness of where his teammates are, where drew Timmy is the traditional center. I was talking about earlier, um, really good at keeping possessions alive, creating new possessions by getting the ball to his teammates when he blocks shots. And I really, I mean, when you're talking about what solidifies him as a number one pick, it's what he does with his feet, how he blocks shots, how he avoids fouls. We just don't see young players do that, especially at that position Mm -hmm. Um, on the perimeter out of the paint, how he moves his feet is going to allow him to guard multiple positions. He's basically had to play out of position at Gonzaga this entire year. It's crazy to think the number one recruit went to a school where he was going to be asked to play out of position. And I think it's really benefited how he's going to play at the next level, because I think he's shown that he can play power forward minutes, especially against traditional big men, especially, you know, kind of the way we're seeing this league go with, you know, the Evan Mobley's I and mean, we're going to have Jabari Smith and Paulo added to this, to this NBA roster of, of power forwards that do a lot of things on the perimeter too. I think Chet Holmgren can step out and do that. As far as his, his offense goes, he's a developing three point shooter. He's got a soft touch. His free throw shooting indicates that he's going to develop into a three point shooter. His three point shot has really come along and progressed throughout this season. He's really ratcheted up in conference play, which that's a whole nother question about, you know, the level of competition he has played, mm-hmm. but Gonzaga hiding out in their yeah, easy yeah. conference. I mean, I would say the West coast conference is better than it's been in a long time though. There's a lot of really good teams in this conference, especially this year. I mean, you're talking about a BYU team that's not playing today as we record this and we're down to, you know, four teams in the West coast conference to imagine that BYU is not involved in that is says a lot about the level of play that the West coast conference has had this year. Have they um, tried four white guys in an Egyptian? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So, <laughs> That's a deep, so, cut, deep cut for. <laughs> yeah. 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 So he does like, offensively. So that's what he does. Creating his own shot as far as three point shooting, Underneath, he's very efficient. He has a little bit of Jabari in him as far as really not offering up the ball and and really is a strong finisher, has a lot of those power moves. He's a big-time lob finisher, which is something we've heard Cronin talk about and, and Billups and through some of the reporting through The Athletic. As far as that's something the Blazers would really like to have next to Damian Lillard. Is Do someone... they know that Damian Lillard is not good at throwing the lobs? Because that's well, kind of helpful to having a lob I mean, finisher. It's a, it's a chicken-and-the-egg situation. So, I mean, you got to have someone who can finish those lobs. And, and I think if it's not... Dame throwing them. Anthony has shown that he can throw those type of passes. Hmm. Uh, Nurk has shown that he can, he can find players in the dunker spot. So he's definitely that he, he is a big time finisher. He is a good role, man. He, his field goal percentage reflects that he takes very high efficient shots. Um, as far as what he can do as a passer, he has played a high low game all year. I mean, he is, 
there's no concern about what he can do as far as feeding a, a big man underneath. And as far as when he's under there, he's had the advantage of playing against some smaller defenders in a lot of situations as more mm-hmm. teams throw their size at Timmy with the, with the Zags. He's really good at sealing off smaller defenders and getting to the basket. This is not, you know, I hate to kick someone, a former Gonzaga player, but Zach Collins could not do this. Zach Collins really struggled with taking advantage of smaller defenders. That is not an issue that Chet Holmgren has. I know when you look at him physically, he doesn't strike someone who is dominating underneath, but he definitely, I feel as though I could take him. He and takes he's, it. He's got a foot and an inch on me. Yeah. He, he takes advantage of smaller matchups and that, and that is encouraging, especially with size. Now concern is, when you do watch those BYU games, when he's playing against basically grown men in the post, he does hit the floor. But when he does hit the floor, it's not like this clumsily, like caught from behind. Like it, it's kind of like Barry Sanders. Barry Sanders never took a big hit in football. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he got tackled a lot, but he was always moving with motion and avoided those big injury causing hits. Not, you know, and it's also so, like, you know how to fall kind of like mm-hmm. in, in football, it's important that when a quarterback knows how to slide those kind of yep. things, like you're yep. going to be able to avoid your, it, it, things are going to happen. You're going to get hit. You're going to get touched. You're going to fall, but you know how to do it to save your body. Yeah. And I mean, Chet definitely has, has hit the floor uh, more than you would like. So, so I do see the concern there, um, especially in the, those BYU games. I mean, Santa Clara always poses a, an interesting test for them in West coast conference play as well, but really he is a, is a super physical player. I know he's skinny. I, I would assume he's going to be able to, to add weight at the NBA level. Um, it might not, physically transform how he looks and is he always going to be a lanky player probably but he could definitely get into that kevin garnett range Uh, i mean if not i mean he he has all the tools to be a kevin durant type player and both him and jabari do a really good job jabari's better as far as keeping the ball high the whole time through Mm -hmm. shot form but but chet does a pretty good job it's not as pretty as what jabari does on offense as far as shooting goes but these guys know how to use their size, especially when they shoot. And it's going to be really hard to contest their shots at the next level. So I, I, I don't think you can go wrong with Chet or Jabari though. So I'm interested to hear if you have any concerns that I didn't cover about, about Chet Holmgren's game. No, no, you didn't talk about that. He needs to eat more food and hit the weight room. But I, I, I guess the biggest thing with, with me or for me with him, is there any, has he, had any injury concerns injuries so far this season with Gonzaga, nothing even for a slight frame. No, not nothing of note. I mean, and, and I mean, he's played big minutes for team USA's under 19 teams, under 18, under 17 teams. Hmm. So, I mean, he's, he's played against big competition. I mean, he's, he, I mean, he holds his own. I know it doesn't look like it, but when you watch him, he, he is not afraid of contact and really he doesn't, if he does concede ground in the post, he does it with a purpose. He's baiting you into a shot block and, and I'm trying to get you to spin a certain direction so he can go to a strong side, those kind of things. Yep. Yeah. I mean, just he's, he gives you a false sense of security sometimes when he gives you a little space down low. So I think as far as someone who, could really improve his stock and solidify himself as the top pick. 
it, mm-hmm. it's it's him in this tournament. He, when he plays against some of these bigger players, uh, I think if he can hold his own, I, I think he's going to be fine. Now, to be clear, Gonzaga's last loss against St. Mary's, they definitely found a way to to really irritate Chet Holmgren in that game, and and we saw how that resulted for Gonzaga. So, I think it's, I think you're going to see that again in the tournament. Mm-hmm. But with Coach Few and how smart that team is, I think they're going to know what's coming, and I think that's going to really benefit Chet going forward. All right, uh, the two very blazer centric question. So if, if they, do you see any, any world in how this kind of top 10 top 14 is playing out in which the blazers are able to keep the Pelicans pick and their own. Well, obviously they'll keep their own. There's Mm -hmm. God, something has gone They're horribly (laughs) right or horribly wrong. If they don't get to keep their own, but in which, you know, it makes sense to package them up for say a Jeremy Grant type player. You know, it was rumored around the trade deadline that, you know, that the Pistons wanted, you know, two first round picks. Is there any combination that would make sense for Jeremy Grant in this and in which you'd give Detroit, you know, two, two picks or, or are we more looking at, you know, like the Blazers hopefully getting a top four and then maybe being able to trade like a number seven for a grant kind of thing. And grant grants an interesting situation just because I think first off, is there a situation where you would trade a first round pick in this draft? I think if you, if both your picks fall out of the top three, I mean, or, I mean, you're going to have to get some luck to land up there mm. most likely. Um, I think, yeah, absolutely. You think about trading one or two picks. I, I think there, there's no one, if you're really going to build around Dane, there's nobody outside this top three that you should be married to. Um, especially if the right role player, or the right player with upside presents themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's because, not like a super well, because the top three are, are, are players you can for sure plug and play into a system with Dame, with the team, as we've so far seen it start to be assembled, that would make sense to be able to get the blazers to a, a at, for their floor to at least be what they've been and their ceiling to at least possibly be a little higher. I, why well, I think more so, I mean, yes, that that's some of it, but I think it's just the top three in this draft have the upside and the skills to drastically change the trajectory of your franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think if you, if you land in that range, I mean, outside of, like I mentioned, Paulo, I think you kind of got to build a team tailored to him, but with Jabari and Chet, you can plug them right in. But Paulo is someone you can't you can't pass on. I mean, you got to at least figure it out. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as, as what you could potentially offer the Pistons, they're kind of weird because I, I think the ideal trading situation for the Blazers is to find a team that really wants a guard. If they fall out of that top three, and you get into the the sharp Ivy uh, Washington Matherin, some mm-hmm. of these other guards that teams might really take the bait and jump a Johnny Davis in there as well. Yeah. Teams players that teams might move up to get a guard there. And that's where the Blazers could be in the driver's seat with one or two of their picks. Um, but the thing with the Pistons are is, is I don't really see any of these guards that they're going to be leaping at to go get, uh, I, I don't really see any of these players. I mean, maybe, I don't know. It just doesn't make sense. That's when you have Cade is, is going to be your focal point of your backcourt for years to come. 
there's, you know, maybe a Jaden Ivy makes sense next to Cade, maybe a Johnny Davis does, but like a Ty Ty Washington, a true point guard doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense for the Pistons here. So I, the long way around it is, yeah, the Blazers should absolutely consider any pick that trading any pick that falls out of the top three. Now, would I like to see them put both picks into the trade? Probably not, unless it's for like a really, really great player. But if they draft someone outside the top three and that other pick is also outside the top three, I, I can see them, you know, pivoting towards seeing what veteran players are out there, especially if there's someone that, you know, a team really likes, maybe there is a team that really drinks the the sharp Kool-Aid and really wants to take a, take a crack at them. That might be the player that the Blazers generate value with that pick. Nice. Is there, is there anybody desperate enough do you think like given that these, the, the, the franchise potential of the, of the top three in this draft with Chet Jabari and, and, and Paulo, uh, is, is there anybody dumb enough that could fall in this range that would be willing to take, you know, two picks further down in the draft for the Blazers to move up? Nobody's stupid enough to do that. I, I, I mean, there's, shaking always, there's, head with there's, al- there's always somebody. I mean, you just got to find the right team. Yeah. I but mean, the, the Knicks are projected to be ninth. If they were in the top three, I'm like, you got a partner. It's there. Or, or the, I mean, or the Kings or, or there, there's some teams that you could potentially, you know, have made some questionable decisions in the past. I mean, I'm never going to say never. I mean, mainly because we, we we've saw, seen some dumb we, shit. We've before. seen what happened with Luca. We we saw him slide down the draft board. We saw a deal between the Hawks and the Mavericks, which ended up working out for both teams. But I, I just don't see, I, I think there is a firm first two tiers as I put it, or a lot of people view it as one tier that you're just not going to trade out of in this draft. Um, unless the deal is like insane. I I don't think two picks in this draft a little further down are going to get that type of deal done. Um, You're probably looking at trying to put other assets into that deal. And I I just don't think unless you're really going to move on from Damian Lillard, I I don't think the Blazers quite have the firepower to make something like that happen on draft night. It seems kind of similar to last year with the uh, Warriors when they're sitting there with like the seven and 14th pick and people are like, Oh, why aren't they packaging and moving it up? And we're like, well, the, the, those, I mean, yeah, sure. They're lot they're lottery picks, quote unquote, but they're not worthy enough to move move up. Nobody's gonna take that crap for, for this. So um last uh last fun little draft question, and then we'll move on to a, a, a smidgen of, of tournament talk because we're this gonna this is ran a little long, but mm. who is your ultimate sleeper out of everybody that's in, you know, your, your big binder of young men that you have. I'm calling it that. Well, I, I held myself back because I was going to say the tickle or the trailblazers tickle trunk of young men that Steve likes (laughs) was going to stop. Stop. (laughs) Um, I, I think like, like who's your, who's your Draymond green in this draft for the ultimate comparison. I, I like Blake Wesley out of Notre Dame. I think he does everything. Scrolling, I think he plays scrolling. scrolling. <laughs> he, he plays a lot of defense. He does everything on offense. He he can act as a facilitator. He can play off the ball. He's not the most efficient player in this draft, but he kind of plays that everything role. Very similar to like what Pat Connington did for the the Irish. I mean, he plays basically kind of free safety on defense. He can mm-hmm. guard post players he, or 
or certainly isn't afraid to go body to body with them. He had a big game against Florida state last week. Um, if, if Notre Dame gets in a good spot in this tournament, I think he's someone everyone's going to really pay attention to, especially if Notre Dame can win a couple games in a row. I mean, he's got a lot of talent. Um, he's just got to get hot at the right time. And I think if he does that, I think he could, he can rock it up out of, out of up draft boards. I mean, right now Tankathon has him in the second round. Uh, I've seen him mocked anywhere from, you know, 18 back. So he, he's someone I really like another player who actually ironically <laughs> Tankathon has the Blazers selecting in the second round is JD Davison. Another type player, you know, spark plug type guard, mm-hmm. probably the best hair in college basketball. If you ask me, um, <laughs> just a dynamic, dynamic point guard. Wait uh, from one bald guy to another. What was his name again? JD Davison. JD Dave. Uh, let me see. I gotta, I, I gotta see when he's wrong. <laughs> oh dear Lord. Yeah. So he kind of has like a dragon ball Z type vibe. Yeah. Going he, to him. Yeah. But, he's, um, he's Goku on his way to super Saiyan. Like his eyebrows yeah. just changed and his hair color changed, but it hasn't stood up yet. Yeah. So he's, he's another player who I think, you know, very similar to, to Wesley, as far as if Alabama gets hot, goes on a run. I think he's one of those players who's going to be contributing to that. He can score a bunch of points very quickly. I mean, I'm not just saying this cause I watched him absolutely eviscerate Gonzaga earlier this year. I mean, he's done it a couple times. I mean, he, he is, you know, that very classic, you know, Jordan Clarkston type third guard that is going to serve a purpose in the NBA. I could see him having a, a very good career. I mean, he's probably not ever going to be your starter, but if he's your sixth man and he reaches his potential, I think you, you got a very useful player on your hands. Nice. You, uh, you going to be at the tournament. You're going to be there any, uh, any time of the 17th. You got, you got your pass I, or your tickets yet. I do not. I I'm kind of just making sure that there's a certain team that is definitely going to be in Portland that I, I believe they're going to be. And then I'm going to, to beg to, uh, to a few of my friends that may or may not know how to get tickets and then see what happens. But I, <laughs> it's, it's very, very expensive to go to those. And, uh, I don't know. I, I, I'll have just as much fun watching at home. Um, and being able to watch all the games, kind of simultaneously, although I'll be focusing on one, uh, as you probably deal with as well. Uh, I am currently looking into either a VPN or a changer, or I'm just going to have to drive to Jansen beach a couple times a day to make my sports bets. But, um, <laughs> as, as, as a person who regularly finds himself working in uh, Beaverton, Gresham and Portland. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, I crossed the bridge and my lunch break is spent perusing. Uh, mm-hmm. Sadly, uh, most of my Anthony Simons over points bets have, uh, have been thwarted. Uh, I got, I got one, I got one good one in there. I got, I got a Anthony Simons over Josh Hart over very early. And, and that, uh, that definitely paid off some of my other errant sports bets in the recent weeks. I, uh, I made a killing on all-star weekend. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, oh, I, uh, you, you had cat, didn't you? For the I, point. Oh, I, uh, I scattered some money around through that, but yes, uh, a cat hit for me. Uh, but I bet cat CJ and Trey young. And, uh, but yeah, no, I, uh, I cleared up on the, uh, MVP. That was a late bet because I, I originally took Giannis and Jokic. 
those, those are my two. And then it was a very late gut check that I was like, ah, I'll throw, I'll throw a little coin on Steph. So mm-hmm. Steph paid off for me at some decent odds. I hit cat at decent odds. I actually hit the, uh, the rookies or the skills challenge, uh. even though I watched that and I still don't understand what I saw. Yeah, I, don't, I don't know what they're doing there. I don't know what they're doing. I, I hit Obi Toppin for the dunk comp. Oh, uh, you found yeah. the dunk comp on it. I yeah. couldn't find the dunk on there. Yeah. I, I, but it was only like, he's like plus two fifty, So it wasn't much. Uh-huh. I, I was really feel as far as all-star MVP. I know people don't like to hear about old gambling, but, um, I was, no, really thinking, it's like, I, it's like catching big fish. We got to tell the stories. I was, I was really thinking everything was coming up. DeMar DeRozan. Like mm-hmm. you just felt like there was a lot of positive buzz there. The odds were yeah, there was like 34 plus 34 plus point games for like five games in a row heading into the weekend. He had the narrative. Yep. Yep. I, uh, so yeah, I set that money on fire. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I will be, uh, I might go to the tournament. I, I might not. I I'm probably leaning more might not. So I'll probably be watching on multiple TVs from the comfort of my own home. Well, if you don't, uh, off air, I'll, I'll tell you the sports bar that I, I'm willing to, uh, after work on opening weekend, Thursday, Friday, that, uh, we can go hang out at, uh, and it's uh good news right downtown Vancouver. So ah. it's in our neck of the woods and nobody's going to follow us from Portland. There but we anyways, go. Steve, thank you for chatting stupid draft stuff with me. This is, this is your time of year. This is your super bowl as a dolphins fan. You don't get many of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> You're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, but go ahead, tell everybody uh, where they can find uh, your own podcast uh, writing. If you're still doing it in any way, shape or form or any, or f- follow your once every two and a half weeks, uh, you know, tweets. Hey, I have been very active with criticizing Dwight James recently. I've been coming up with some very good memes. They're all jo- Dwight. Is James his Center. new job just to piss everybody off. He's not employed by any sports medium. Everyone keeps calling for him to get fired. And he loves telling everyone fire me yeah. from where ha ha ha. I'm like, yeah. I don't know your couch at this point. You're fire just, you. <laughs> like, no. I like he's getting his jollies off of just like, what can I do to set Blazers world on fire yeah. today? Yeah. I, uh, so yeah, I do tweet occasionally. I probably will through the, through the draft as far as letting people know where to watch these prospects, especially through the tournament. Um, but yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at Steve D hoops. Like Ryan mentioned, I have my own podcast now with my co-host, Brian Wilcox. It's the church of Roy. Um, you can find us wherever you, you get your podcast. The um, best name podcast on the market. I, I won't no. lie. Ooh. It would, Ooh. it would only, it would only be one up by if there was a church of Andre Miller that, uh, <laughs> you know, Evan started or something like yeah. that, but church of Roy, one of the best name podcasts. Thank you. Thank you. We, uh, we, we, uh, are definitely a huge brand and Roy enthusiasts. So um, that's where my podcast is. I will be doing my typical Blazers Edge writing uh, when the draft kind of we ramp up draft coverage, which will be sooner rather than later. Uh, For the the, uh, the number one most popular, least hated fan blog website in the Portland metro area. Never, I mean, has, never has caused any bit of controversy at all. Yeah, just, just a little, little dicey there. But I, you know, there, there's a staff there that I, I haven't really been incredibly active in the last few months, mainly just because of work and, and like Brandon going back to, to, to grad school. So I'm doing that whole thing. But um, 
I, I can't stay away from the draft and I will be there. I'll be doing profiles. Um, I will write as much as Dave will let me to write. And I'm hoping that will be a lot. Um, uh, Knowing Dave, uh, I think you have carte blanche. Yeah. So, so I'll be looking forward to doing that. You can, like I said, go to blazer's edge, read, read some Dave Deckard articles. I heard they're real popular right nowadays. So oh, um, they get the clicks are flowing. Yep. Yeah, so anyway, follow me i appreciate you having me on the show i i will always enjoy talking about the draft maybe later we can talk about some second round picks once i get my list fully put together God, that is that is a deep cut yeah. i i am more than willing to put together an entire podcast around the second cut the the best second round prospects on the there board you <laughs> there you go there you go i'm more than willing to do it so all right ryan i appreciate it man thanks for having me on all right, Steve, thank you. 